Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Well, I am so grateful to be here today with my good friend and colleague, Ross Barron. Ross, thanks for walking all the way down the hall to come into my office. Thank you. I appreciate that. It was a big sacrifice. (laughs) Well, anyway, I'm so excited today. We're going to talk about Elder Cook, primarily about some of his teachings. But before we land on that, Ross, I just thought I'd ask you if if you'd ever have have had any personal experiences with, with Elder Quentin L. Cook. My uh, personal experience with Elder Cook was when we lived in Israel at the Jerusalem Center. Uh, my wife and I and our two of our youngest daughters were there from August 2018 to August 2019. Elder Cook came, I don't remember the month, but he came in 2019. And he came as part of an interfaith uh, dialogue that they were doing with the Jewish community. And Elder Cook came, and he spent, I think, two or three days at the Jerusalem Center. I got to meet with him. Uh, he's a strong, strong advocate for interfaith relations. Right. And um, he, he he goes out of his way to make sure that there's understanding and uh, kind of this mutual admiration for each religion's strengths. Right. Right, what uh, we know is holy envy. And Elder Cook is uh, really, really strong in that area. I uh, I think that comes from his experience of being the state president in California, where he was really engaged in that interfaith dialogue and and and, uh, and inclusion with so many people from so many faiths. Yeah, in fact, I think he was the first stake president in San Francisco. Oh wow! Of the first stake. Okay. That was organized in San Francisco. My other connection with Elder Cook is after I joined the church when I was eighteen and before my mission. I read The Life of Heber C. Kimball by Orson F. Whitney, Mm. and it had a tremendous impact on me. Heber C. Kimball is one of my heroes of the Restoration, who one of the greatest missionaries in the Restoration, uh, of course, served his mission in England in 1837, if you've ever been uh, up where kind of Preston is, and ended up baptizing thousands, actually. Anyway, Elder Cook is a direct descendant of Heber C. Kimball. Right. And uh, through David Patton Kimball, that's how Elder Cook, uh, that's his line. Anyway, that that means something for me because, again, Heber C. Kimball means so much to me. Yeah. In fact, uh, while you're there, while we're there, Ross, just for a second, let's identify that pattern because I think it's significant to talk just for a minute about that connection that so many of our modern apostles have to what I call the founding fathers of the church. You know, we have, uh, you know, obviously we've just lost Elder Ballard, but, you know, his great connection to Hiram Smith, to Joseph Smith. Um, and uh, and uh, Melvin J. Ballard. Melvin J. Ballard, right. right. And and uh, and Hiram Max Smith, you know. And then we have Elder Holland's direct connection to George Q. Cannon. We have Elder Cook, as you just mentioned, to Heber C. Kimball. We have Dallin Harris Oaks. Martin Harris. Martin Harris. Really, it's Emer Harris, but it's Martin Harris's brother. Right. We have Elder Stevenson, who talked a while back about his connection to Mary Elizabeth Rollins Leitner, and it just goes on that way. And, I, and once again, I don't think that they're reading from some cue card or some archive file, as they call apostles, to think, uh, okay, who are they related to? Let's make this call. But it's just, 
it's this incredible divine uh, inspiration to call these men that in many cases are directly connected to our church history. I think it's cool. I love it too. I'm with you. And I think those, what you're calling founding fathers of the Restoration, and I would say founding mothers as well, like the deep commitment, courage, persistence, and faith on the part of that generation, say, late 1820s, 1829, to, you know, the the whole crossing of the plains. My wife is a direct descendant of Levi Ward Hancock. Oh, wow. Who was one of the first general authorities in the 70. Sure. uh, Did Zion's camp, crossed the plains. And that family, if you look at that family and the faithfulness from him that are in the church, it's it's astounding. Right. It's astounding. Love Levi Hancock. (laughs) Yeah, Levi Hancock. That's yeah, my wife's a direct descendant. Incredible. Well, Ross, um, question here is just on a general level, without getting very specific into any any talks, but how would you say that Elder Cook's teachings have impacted your life? Well, I think it's super interesting that, and and being totally candid, Elder Cook was not on my radar at all in terms of being a member of the Quorum of the Twelve. Right. Uh, from when he was called into the 70, I think he was called into the second quorum, and then he was called into the first quorum, and then he was called into the Twelve. It was never on my radar. Um, and I believe, and I, I really feel this way, that as Elder Cook has been in the Twelve, his talks have gotten more powerful, more spiritual, more insightful. He speaks with greater authority and there's a spirit about him, in my view, that you know he has the endowment, that power that comes from being a special witness and having those keys. I've seen that in my own life, him, watching him. Just watching him And evolve. feeling, exactly, as he has grown and his talks uh, have affected me, uh, I'd say in the last four or five years, more powerfully than they did before. Now, that's not a critique of Elder Cook. That's more of a critique of me, obviously. Um, mm. Maybe I wasn't in tune or whatever. <laughs> the point being is that I believe that I've seen uh, tremendous power there. Um, and there, he came to BYU uh, recently, this semester, and spoke with Elder Clark G. Gilbert, who's the Commissioner of Church Education. And there was a power with Elder Cook that was uh, palpable. He, yeah, it was noticeable. He, he authority and power and confidence and spirit. That's what I would say. Yeah, I love that. And I, I would agree. I feel I feel the same way. I know when Elder Cook was called, I wasn't even quite sure who he was. I knew he had been in the Quorum of the Seventy, but to watch him evolve into this role has been has been incredible. Um, okay, so let's get into some of his teachings here. And uh, the first talk or teaching that you'd like to share, tell us, Russ, just drive this, drive this bus for a while. What okay, you oh, you bet. So... Um, as preparation for this, I chose three talks, uh, chronologically, April 2020, The Blessings of Continuing Revelation to Prophets and Personal Revelation to Guide Our Lives. The next one is April 2022, Conversion to the Will of God. And then finally, October 2023 is the last general conference talk, uh, Be Peaceable Followers of Christ. Uh, so let me start in the beginning with what I think, uh, The Blessings of Continuous Revelation to Prophets and Personal Revelation to Guide Our Lives, April 2020. Yes. Um, Elder Cook, said, I'm going to quote him. He said, The Church of Jesus Christ owes its origin, existence, and direction for the future to the principle of continuous revelation, unquote. Mm. That is that is just, that can't be said enough. Right. Uh, that cannot be said enough. I have a statement that... 
I've said to people over the years that some, it kind of hits them by surprise. So yeah. Elder Cook said it nicely. I'm going to say the way <laughs> I say it. So I'll say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is not based on the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's based on what the Bible's based on, revelation through prophets. Yeah. Wow. And I had, I had a, a pastor uh, confront me directly and say, well, is the church based on the Book of Mormon? And I said, that's a great question. And the answer is no. It's based on what the Book of Mormon's based on, revelation through prophets. I love that. And, and that is what Elder Cook is saying. He's saying the church owes its existence to revelation. It can't, by the way, it can't be any other way. It literally can't be any other way. Right. So any church that claims to be based solely on the Bible would be a church that Peter, James, and John couldn't belong to because there was no Bible when they were around. <laughs> right. Right. So uh, clearly there were Christians before there was a Christian Bible. So that's actually a paraphrase of something Elder Holland said. I love that. Um, yeah. Something else Elder Cook said in the same talk And I love the way he talked about this. Now, this was during the pandemic. This is April 2020. Right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of the pandemic where where everyone's trying to figure out what's to do. And he then gives this talk about continuing revelation. It was the April 2020 general conference where President Nelson read the Restoration Proclamation. Right. Right. And then this is what Elder Cook says about that. Quote, I declare with all solemnity that continuous revelation has been received and is being received through channels the Lord has established. I testify the new proclamation President Nelson delivered this morning is a revelation to bless all people, unquote. Mm. Wow, right? (laughs) I mean, just strong. And then he talked, he said something too in that talk. People are always asking, it's more one of the more continuous questions about how do I know if it's indigestion or how do I know if it's revelation? (laughs) Right? Is it my own feelings, et cetera? And they've they've answered that question and again and again. But Elder Cook gave some very interesting, I think, counsel with respect, and he says, with revelation to as a still small voice to our minds. Right? Mm. Oftentimes we talk about the feelings of our hearts. But this is what he said, and I want I want I'm gonna read it and then talk about it just for a second if you don't mind. He said, um, quote, although it's in, its impact can be incredibly powerful. It, the Holy Ghost, most often comes quietly as a still, small voice. The scriptures include many examples of how the Spirit influences our minds, Mm. including speaking peace to our minds, occupying our minds, enlightening our minds, and even sending a voice to our minds, unquote. One of the interesting things for me there is this idea of occupying my mind. Uh, The prophet Joseph in section 128 of the Doctrine and Covenants is in hiding. Right. And in the first couple of verses, he decides he's going to write a letter to the saints about baptisms for the dead. And the reason he says he's going to write the letter, now this is Joseph Smith, right. who I call a walking satellite dish of <laughs> revelatory Reve- power. Reve- yes. Okay. And he says, in section 128, he says, because I'm writing to you for, on bapt- I'm paraphrasing, I'm writing to you on baptisms of the dead because it's pressing itself upon my feelings and occupying my mind. My mind. Yeah. Now think about that. Mm. Wow, what that's that is a prophet and I think all of us have had the experience where something is pressing itself upon our feelings and occupying my mind. Act on that. Yes. Do that. That's the <laughs> Lord, right? And by the way, that coincides with section 8 of the Doctrine and Covenants. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart 
by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. So those two things become like two witnesses, as it were. Right. Right. So I love that Elder Cook emphasized this idea of how he kind of went through how it can be in our minds. Enlightening our minds. That's another one been for me is I get a certain clarity. I can't explain it except that it's enlightening, right? Um, I've had the peace to my mind, occupying my mind, heard the voice of the Lord in my mind. Those things all resonated with me. And then finally in this talk, he says, Sir Ross, go ahead. can Sorry. I dive on right where you please, are just please, for please. one second before we leave this mind thing? But you, first of all, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I didn't realize that when I read this talk and reviewed it recently, I didn't. I, I ran right over that, and I think a lot of us do the same thing in Doctrine and Covenant section eight. I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. And we kind of focus on the heart heart part. The next verse, by this Moses brought the children across the Red Sea on dry ground. I think we're learning how Moses received revelation. And then I had I've had this thought, and if you want to say anything about it, um, you know, when you go to to Doctor to Moses chapter one, and this is about verse twenty five, I think, we learn that uh, Moses is told in what I, what I would call almost a patriarchal type blessing, in that verse that he would have power over the waters. It's made me think before if the Red Sea, if we ever watched the movie The Ten Commandments, the parting of the Red Sea is one of the most dramatic things you'd ever see in a in a movie, right? But I wonder if it was so much less dramatic. I wonder if it was as simple as a thought that Moses had as they came to that barrier, wondering what they were going to do next. So the thought entered his mind and he remembered that great promise to him about power of the waters. You know, President McKay said it this way. He said to all members of the church who are in the line of their duty, the Holy Ghost normally will speak to them through their conscience, he said. So I, I think we've dramatized receiving revelation so much. And I hope that our youth would know, and even our parents, that it's as simple as the thoughts that come to your mind. So I, I love that. And I would say this, that I look at faith as faith is when you act on the assurances you've been given. Mm. Okay. So if you look at that particular definition, faith is to act on the assurances you've been given. So Moses has been given an assurance in Moses chapter 1 right. that he would have power over the waters. He might not have fully understood what in the world the Lord was talking about in Moses 1, right? Right. For this future event. <laughs> right. But then he gets to the Red Sea. You've got the the Egyptians coming after them. Essentially, if we don't do something, we're going to be dead. And then the thought comes to his mind by the Spirit. Yeah. Raise your rod. Mm-hmm. And it's pressing itself upon his feelings, I believe. And it's not, there's no angel. Jehovah doesn't appear. Um, in fact, if you read in Exodus chapter 12, it's he says, wherefore tell the children of Israel to move forward. In mm. other words, wherefore criest thou unto me? Tell the children of Israel to move forward. So I believe that he was acting on the assurances he'd been given. And again, no angel, no vision, but the Lord spoke to his heart and his mind. And like you said in section 8, verse 3, this is the way by which Moses brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground. Right. So it's just, it's. I agree with you that... We should not dramatize it, but we should be intentional about it. Yes. Meaning uh, President Nelson is talking about like, we should ask the Lord, how can we hear thee better? Mm. How can we hear thee better? Right. And we'll get our own customized, maybe turn some stuff off. Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe pay attention and then maybe act 
Um, and so those kind of how the miracles happen as husbands, as fathers, right? Yes. As, as in whatever calling we have. Now that just, if I can segue, that brings me to the last point yes, please do. in this talk he gave in April, 2020. Quote, in my experience, significant spiritual guidance most often comes when we are trying to bless others in fulfilling our responsibilities, unquote. Now, I had a missionary companion who always wanted to like go out into the mountains and see angels. <laughs> and uh, I always used to say, no, that's, that's wrong. No, no, no. The prophets seen angels. We need to see angels. And I used to say, um, as we go about our work, then God can direct us. And if we need an angel, he'll send one. Right. But generally, no. And this idea I learned early, and President Oaks has said something to the effect, revelation comes on the move. Mm, yes. I know you've had this experience. I'll share two. While I'm teaching a class, okay, I'm right? My intent is to try to bless young people, to testify, to help them and strengthen them. I've had phenomenal experiences where the direction of the classes had to change and I've been told, or somebody asks a very important question where the whole class just on the edge of their seats when I didn't know the answer, Right. but it came. Right. And I've even stopped and said, all right, you guys, what I just said was really good. I hope somebody wrote it down. <laughs> I had a kid actually record it. Because I'm learning this for the first exactly. time as I'm talking. Exactly. Right? And I had a kid record it once yeah. and send me a clip of what I had said in answer to a particular question. Mm -hmm. And after listening to it, I've thought, there's no way I didn't know any of that stuff. That was not me. Nope, yeah. nope. The other experience I've had, and this again, in connection with Elder Cook here, who's talking about how it often comes when we're trying to bless others and fulfilling our responsibilities. I've been preparing a class where I've been going along and thinking and pondering, reading and doing whatever I'm doing. And I've had the impression come, they're going to ask, somebody's going to ask this question. You need to be prepared for it. And I thought, hmm. okay. And I've prepared for that. Sure enough, yeah. the kid raises their hand and says that exact thing. And it's really powerful. Yeah. I've experienced those kind of things as well, not only in the classroom, but in our, and you can relate to this, Ross, but in our ecclesiastical assignments, as we're moving, as we're on the go, as we're working on something and I've had so many times in my present calling where I had no idea that this was going to even happen, but all of a sudden you're declaring something and you're making promises that you're, you're like, like you said, I hope someone's recording this because I have no idea what's coming out of my mouth right now, mm. but the Lord is using us as an instrument to, to bless others. And I agree. It's wonderful when that happens. I, and I've said this too. Mm. We talk sometimes about the gifts of the Spirit, and whenever you're in a class, uh, students will talk about the gift of tongues, and then somebody who served in Russia or Bulgaria or Argentina will raise their hands and say how they got the gift of tongues. And I agree with all that. I think that's 100% true. But I also believe you can get the gift of tongues by the power of the Holy Ghost in English. Yes. In other words, the power to clearly and with the Spirit communicate to somebody else the truths of the gospel. And it doesn't have to be in a foreign language. Right. And so the gift of tongues is a gift that applies to foreign languages. But the prophet Joseph said it's to preach the gospel. Yes. Right. I and so it. so I think that that gift, if we seek it, can be such a powerful thing. And now back to kind of what your podcast and what you talk about all the time. And that is as we're teaching children. 
I've had phenomenal experiences where my kids have asked me hard questions and my wife's looked at me like, um, and then the spirits come and we have been able to communicate, I believe with the gift of tongues, right? Revelation in the moment. Yes. Those things that needed to be done. Amen. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That was the spirit approving what I just said. That was the spirit approving what you just said. I appreciate that. Yeah. That was good. Okay. Let me transition into another talk he gave. This is from April 2022 called Conversion to the Will of God. He tells a a phenomenal story. Apparently, Elder Cook's father was not active in the church. And uh, Elder Cook has an older brother uh, who he loved. Apparently, he and his older brother got along, and he really felt like that his older brother was an example. And they're trying – so what the context is, uh, apparently, the older brother has been accepted or is aiming towards medical school. This and is his brother Joe. Joe. This is the yeah. older brother Joe, and who's just an exemplary person. And the father, at this point in time, I think missions have been restricted in terms of calling missionaries. But in any case, Joe, the, the older brother, gets apparently the bishop is like, we want you to serve a mission. The Lord wants you to go on a mission. So they bring it home and in a pretty intense, I guess, conversation at the cook home. Um, <laughs> he, the dad says, I no, I don't think you should go. Yeah. Now he doesn't force them. He's going to leave it up to them, but he's pretty strong in his counsel to not, he doesn't want either of them actually to serve missions, but especially Joe. Yeah. So I'm now quoting uh, from Elder Cook's talk. This is the April 2022 general conference called In Conversion to the Will of God. Quote, in a remarkable discussion with my wise and exemplary older brother, we concluded that his decision on whether to serve a mission and delay his education depended on three questions. Mm. One, is Jesus Christ divine? Two, is the Book of Mormon the Word of God? And three, is Joseph Smith the prophet of the Restoration? If the answer to these questions was yes, it was clear that Joe could do more good taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world than becoming a doctor at an earlier date, unquote. Mm. Mm. Wow. Okay, so the way I look at that particular story that Elder Cook shared is just to, to this kind of idea that Elder Corbridge gave when he spoke at BYU between primary questions and secondary questions, right? Yes. So what they just laser focused on these absolutely foundational rock solid things, right? Is Jesus the Christ, right? Yes. Is the Book of Mormon divine? Is it what it claims to be? And is Joseph Smith a prophet? Right. The end of the story is that both Joe and Elder Cook have uh, a powerful experience with the Spirit confirming that those three things were in fact true, that Jesus Christ is divine, that the Book of Mormon is in fact the Word of God, and that Joseph is a prophet, and that it changes, I think, the trajectory of both of their lives such that Joe ends up serving a full-time mission and ends up later going on to becoming an amazing <laughs> You could doctor. have it all, right? right? Well, the Lord will do that, right? Yeah. And then Elder Cook, I think it changed the trajectory of his life. He then decides to serve a mission. He ends up serving a mission in England. Marion D. Hanks is his mission president. Uh, Jeffrey R. Holland is his junior companion. I mean, <laughs> we you literally can see the world in some ways, you could say, was you know swinging on a hinge there right. on on these two young men as they're praying and and by the way at considerable probably sacrifice to them to go against their dad they loved their dad he was a great man um, 
and they had to kind of, at that age, get on their knees and make some decision. It says a lot about both Joe and Elder Cook. Yes. Right? And what kind of family they had. And I, again, I don't want to be too hard on their father. Um, that would have seemed like the right thing to do is go get your medical degree, right? Right. But they they had those answers. So I just think that's amazing. I also think that there's a pattern here, again, where it just seems like, as I study the lives of our living prophets, that there is some kind of seminal spiritual experience in their adolescence, mm. which once again makes it so powerful and so profound of why we need as parents to be teaching the gospel in our homes and also to be helping our children find those answers because here's Elder Cook finding his, Elder Christofferson's in his bedroom, not in the sacred grove, receiving his answer and it just goes down the line like that. But uh, these teenage years are so crucial. Amen. That's great. There's one other, there's another quote from that talk that he repeated, by the way. So yeah. I'm going to give you the quote because the talk is entitled Conversion to the Will of God. And he says this twice, and he might have said it in a variation a third way, but this is what he said. Quote, true conversion is the result of the conscious acceptance of the will of God and that we can be guided in our actions by the Holy Ghost, unquote. This idea of conscious acceptance of the will of God. This goes to, mm -hmm. again, dovetailing with President Nelson, hear him, that we, our prayers and our kind of awareness during the day is to be consciously accepting, right, the will of God as guided by him, right? Right. Th that, so that conscious acceptance, so it's not going to be just some rare thing like you were saying earlier. It should be something that happens to us throughout the day. Right. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. It could be a kind word or a hug that somebody needs or a testimony or an explanation or you're going to go meet someone or whatever it might be, right? Right. There's, it's infinity what we could be doing mm -hmm. with that. But this idea of the conscious acceptance of the will of God and this settling it in your hearts that the Holy Ghost can guide you. Right. Yeah. So the Holy Ghost can and will guide you if you're open to it. And I think that's how the world can be changed. My, I was talking to my two daughters. We were at dinner last night. And I said, so what would you pray if you could, if Heavenly Father, you could ask him, you know, he would give you anything. Anything, yeah. And uh, Lucy said, I'd, I'd pray for world peace. Mm. I go, that's so sweet. And because she's aware of what's going on. We talk about yeah. what's happening on, in the world right now. Yeah. I said, you know, the best way that you could get that prayer answered? She goes, how? I said, if you serve a mission. Mm. She goes, what do you mean? I go, that's the answer to achieving world peace is the gospel of Jesus Christ yeah. and the doctrine of Christ. And so <laughs> she was like, wow. You know, it's like you could tell. Both my daughters were like thinking, huh. Yes. So, so I could make a difference in the world. I could make a difference. So I said, Heavenly Father, you know, he's going to respect the freedom of everyone and their agency. But the way that we can help Heavenly Father have world peace in the world is number one, we keep the commandments, obviously. But number two, we help others. Right. That, was, that struck them. They thought that was very cool. Yeah, yeah, I so, think it's very cool. Yeah, so that was very cool. Um, the third talk was the most recent talk, which is to me a follow-up on President Nelson's seminal talk about being peacekeepers, right? Yes. Peacemakers. is entitled Be Peaceable Followers of Christ from October 2023. And he talks about how we're here in mortality. And, and again, this is so classic Elder Cook. He said, quote, we are warm, engaged members of the communities where we live, mm. unquote. 
what a warm and engaged, <laughs> right? And so that's such a beautiful thing. I, I remember in Southern California, I was in the Laverne Stake, and we were looking for an activity to do with the with the members for the youth. And you know, I I don't mind painting park benches or cleaning up Boy Scout <laughs> trails, but I always like to have some kind of personal interaction with other human beings. And there was a church in our in our stake that was pretty run down. Mm. And so we contacted the church and said, hey, can we come and paint and fix the porch or your steps and, and help with... And they were like, you'd do that? Yeah. yeah. So we got however many youth. It was like 200 youth and adults from the, stake, from the right. stake. And we spent... I, I think we did some preliminary work on Friday and then on Saturday spent essentially the whole day you know, doing electrical work and some oh, con wow. minor construction and then painting and landscaping. Oh, wow. And, and the, but the, the not, you know, so that's great, right? But the thing is, if you ask those young people about their youth conference experiences with service, that's the one they bring up. Mm. Not because they painted, because they don't love to paint and not because they did construction, but because the people there of that other church were just just overwhelmed so touched by yeah that. so again this quote we are warm engaged members of the communities where we live right and then he brings up another point that i think is critical to understand as it relates to our interaction with others now it's something president oaks has talked about but elder mm. cooks is going is, is to talk about the plan of salvation and so what happens is where we where we disagree with someone it could be doctrinally, socially, politically, religiously, right? Yes, all the above. But we have certain, certain. we come with a certain frame. And the frame we come with is the plan of salvation. Mm. And so Elder Cook says, quote, Those without knowledge of the Father's plan do not understand what happened in the first act or mm. the premortal existence. And the purpose is established there. Nor do they understand the clarification and resolution that come in the third act, which is the glorious fulfillment of the Father's plan, unquote. Mm. That is a great single sentence right there. It. And so sometimes when we're frustrated maybe or we think somebody is being antagonistic to our position, I think, again, Elder Cook in this talk about being peaceable followers of Christ, we need to understand that they don't know about premortality. Yeah. They don't know about, or they don't have the details of post-mortality, right? They don't know fully why we're here. And so we need to be generous and kind and full of grace with somebody who's coming from a different doctrinal position, that their assumptions are different than our assumptions. Now, that doesn't mean we modify our doctrine. It doesn't mean we modify our position. But I think the point of the talk is to be peaceable followers of Christ in the way that we teach it, talk about it, and explain it. And sometimes we can be overt and say, the reason I'm coming from this position is because, and then we can slot it into the plan of salvation. Sure. Right? We can plug it in. One of the things I do in my classes, I'll write on the board, what does, and I just write a, a line, what does blank do to the plan of salvation? So if you're struggling, say, with abortion, what does abortion do to the plan of salvation? Then students are like, oh, like, so that frames it in terms of... I love that framing. The, how we frame it, right? Yeah. So what does murder do to the plan of salvation, right? People, oh, yeah, that would be wrong. Okay, good. So uh, what, what do, does divorce do? What does divorce... Yeah. What, do, what do families do to the plan of salvation? It doesn't always have to be negative, right? Right. So um, that, that framing, it's not the end-all, be-all, but it does help underscore the idea 
of the plan and what fits into the plan. Right. So I love that. Ross. So so I think the way Elder Cook did this, and now let me just end on his talk, Be Beastable Followers of Christ. He quotes a hymn that we rarely sing. Mm. It's called Come Ye Disconsolate. Yeah, I don't think I've ever sung that one. I, I actually <laughs> love the hymn. I, I really yeah. do. And there's a line from the hymn that Elder Cook quotes where he says, Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Oh, wow. There you go. Now, that line is just, number one, it's true. Yes. And, and it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ that that's true, that earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. And we need to kind of center in on that truth. And so that when we're involved with perhaps contentious or conflicting views with other people, we have to realize in the end, the Lord's in charge. It's his work, right? Um, And it's a blessing, right? Yes. I had an experience where I was going to go speak. This is years ago about Prop 8. Okay, California. Uh, And this is the whole same-sex marriage thing, and they were debating it. And I was gonna. I was at BYU Idaho. I was gonna go down to the, speak at a state conference, state uh, youth conference, because the youth were getting beat up in high school. Right. Okay. So Henry J. Iring, uh, who's the son of Henry B. Iring, he and I were chatting about it, and he goes, "Before you go, let me get some counsel from my father for you." Yeah. I thought, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> I will take counsel from Henry B. Iring. And so President Iring, so Henry J. Iring, got back to me. Yeah. And said. You know, when are you going? I said, I'm a couple of days. He said, well, my father said this. He said, number one, the Lord Jesus Christ is in the details and he knows everything that's going on. <laughs> number two, but point number two is that he wants to see where people stand. And then number three, we better act like followers of Jesus Christ in how we interact with these other people that disagree with us. Yeah. Okay. Whoa. So number one, right? The Savior knows what's going on and we're going to be triumphant. Number two, he wants to see where the saints stand and where other people stand. And number three, anybody who, if if we don't agree with same-sex marriage, we better act like Christians. What a powerful message. Right. Right. But in the end, going back to Elder Cook... Right. I mean, so sometimes we're going to be disappointed, like the Supreme Court's going to overturn things and it might not go our way, at least in the short term. Right. Yes. But the plan of salvation, it's done. We just studied a book of Revelation, right, in follow, Come Follow Me. Yes. Well, yeah, it's done. (laughs) What team do you want to be on? Right. Right. The winning team, the losing team. And this idea, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. I so appreciate that Elder Cook quoted come ye disconsolate yeah uh, as he kind of wrapped up those so these three talks have been a huge blessing for me and i appreciate the opportunity to share these kind of thoughts with you ross thank you so much thank you so much for your insights it's great it was so great it is so great to have ross uh with me today ross has had to leave because he had to run to another meeting but i want to continue this and thank you so much for, for staying with me and tuning in as we talk about Elder Cook. You know, I think that Elder Cook was giving a, given an incredible compliment once by one of his very best friends named Lee Burke. He said, I've known Quentin all of my life, and he has never done anything that would dishonor himself, his family, or the church. And I think, wow, what a great, incredible example, right, uh, that Elder Cook has been throughout his life. I think letting his light shine 
has certainly been one of the great aspects of his ministry. Let me share another example of that. These are all great stories that we could be sharing in our in our family home evenings and other lessons. But Elder Cook learned the importance of being forthright with his church membership early in his career. And after finishing his education at Stanford Law School, he sought employment at a particular law firm. No church members were associated with the firm, but the firm was made up of lawyers of character and ability. After a morning of interviews, the senior partner and two other partners invited Elder Cook to lunch. The senior partner inquired if he would like an alcoholic drink and later if he would like wine. In both cases, Elder Cook declined. The second time, Elder Cook informed the partners that he was an active Latter-day Saint and did not drink alcohol. Elder Cook then received an offer of employment from the firm. A few months later, the senior partner told him the offer of the alcoholic beverages was actually deliberate. It was a purposeful test. He noted that Elder Cook's resume made it clear that he had served an LDS mission. And the senior partner had determined that he would hire him only if Elder Cook was true to the teachings of his church. The senior partner considered it a significant matter of character and integrity. I love that story. And I can't resist everyone. There's just one more story that's similar to that, maybe a little bit more humorous, but teaches such a great point. Elder Cook said in his talk, Are You a Saint? That a number of years ago, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, as an attorney, representing a man who was buying a business. After several days of negotiations, we reached an agreement and signed the closing documents. That evening, one of the sellers invited us to a dinner to celebrate the closing. When I arrived, he offered me an alcoholic drink, which I declined. He then said, Are you a saint? Elder Cook said, I didn't fully understand what he meant. And he repeated, Are you a Latter-day Saint? I responded, Yes, I am. And he said he had been observing my personal habits during our negotiations and had concluded that I was either LDS or had a stomach problem. Well, we both laughed at that, and then he informed me that he had only known one other member of the church on a personal basis, and that was a man named David B. Haight. He said we were both executives in Chicago with a large retail chain. Following World War II, he told me, of the significant influence Elder Haight had been in his life, and that he held him in the highest regard. Now, my thought here for a minute is this. Who in the heck was that man, and what did he do right in the pre-earth life to make it so that the only two Latter-day Saints he would know and meet were both apostles, David B. Haight and Quentin L. Cook, anyway? And then Elder Cook went on to say this. What does it mean to be a saint in the Lord's Church? The members are Latter-day Saints, and they attempt to emulate the Savior, follow His teachings, and receive saving ordinances in order to live in the celestial kingdom. I think that's a great, great definition of what it means to be a saint. I think another pattern to pay attention to is when prophets, seers, and revelators talk about the same topic multiple times. Ross, a minute ago, talked about you know, Elder Cook's talk on peace that he gave recently. But it's really interesting that in about 2013, Elder Cook gave another talk on peace. In fact, he called it personal peace, the reward of righteousness. And let me just share with you his opening story. He said, recent experiences have caused me to reflect on the doctrine of peace and especially the role of Christ, Jesus Christ, in helping each of us obtain lasting personal peace. Two events in the past few months have touched me deeply. First, I spoke at the funeral for for Emily Parker, 
a precious six-year-old who lost her life along with 25 others, including 19 young children, in a tragic shooting in Newtown, Connecticut. I mourned with her family and recognized that many had been deprived of peace. I found strength in her parents, Robert and Alyssa Parker. Second, I met with thousands of faithful members of the church in the Ivory Coast city, and he lists the city, and I probably can't say it right. This French-speaking West African country has endured economic hardship, a military coup, and two recent civil wars, including in 2011, yet I felt a special peace in their presence. He said, events often occur that rob us of peace and heighten our sense of vulnerability. And then Elder Cook said, who can forget the evil attacks of September 11, 2001 on various U.S. locations? Such events remind us how quickly our feelings of peace and safety can be destroyed. He said our oldest son and his wife, who were expecting their first child, lived three blocks from the World Trade Center in New York City when the first plane crashed into the North Tower. They went to the roof of their apartment building and were horrified as they watched what they thought was some kind of terrible accident. Then they witnessed the second plane crash into the South Tower. They immediately realized that this was no accident and believed Lower Manhattan was under attack. When the South Tower collapsed, their apartment building was engulfed in the dust in the dust cloud that rained down over Manhattan. Confused about what they had witnessed and concerned about further attacks, they made their way to a safer area and then to the Manhattan Stake Church building at Lincoln Center. When they arrived, they found that dozens of other members in Lower Manhattan had made the same decision to gather at the Stake Center. They called to let us know where they were, and I was relieved that they were safe, but not surprised at their location. Modern Revelation teaches us that the Stakes of Zion are a defense and a refuge from the storm and from the wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. Now, I love that story as well for the same reason that Elder Cook shared it, and that's that I love that when there is that kind of turmoil and chaos and uncertainty in the lives of so many members in Manhattan that their first thought was get to the stake center, a place of safety and refuge. Regarding some of the doctrinal teachings in this talk, Elder Cook said that he let us know that universal peace has been taken from the earth. In fact, he said that prophets have declared that peace has been taken from the earth. Lucifer has not yet been bound and exercises power in this dominion. But then Elder Cook said this, that we earnestly hope and pray for universal peace. But it is as individuals and families that we achieve the kind of peace that is the promised reward for righteousness. This peace is a promised gift of the Savior's mission and of his atoning sacrifice. He taught that Elder John Taylor, or President John Taylor, taught that peace is certainly a gift of God. And then he quoted President Heber J. Grant, who said that the Savior's peace will ease our suffering, bind up our broken hearts, blot out our hates, engender our breast of a love of fellow men that will effuse our souls, suffuse our souls with a calm and with happiness. Then he said this, in my meetings with Emily Parker's parents, I saw the Savior's peace had eased their suffering and is helping to bind their broken hearts. It is notable that immediately after the shooting, Brother Parker expressed forgiveness to the perpetrator. And as President Grant said, the Savior's peace can blot out our hates. And it's so true. And I know that at this time of year, this special, wonderful time of year for all of us, we seek for that peace in our lives. We long for it, Elder Cook said. 
And he said, peace is not just safety or lack of war or lack of violence or conflict or contention. Peace comes from knowing that the Savior knows who we are and knows that we have faith in him, love him, and keep his commandments, even despite life's devastating trials and tragedies, he said. And then Elder Cook quotes Emma Luthane, her hymn, Where Can I Turn for Peace? Where is my solace? When other sources cease to make me whole. And the Elder Cook said, The answer is the Savior. He is the source and the author of peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And isn't it wonderful, and this is just me now talking for a minute, but isn't it wonderful that in a world of craziness, in a world of terror, in a world of fear, in a world of all the chaos that we live among, in war and rumors of wars, that we still can have personal peace in our lives. And one of those great sources of peace is the temple. In fact, Elder Cook said this, temples are where many of these sacred ordinances occur. And he says, one experience preeminent in my mind is the Suva Fiji Temple open house and dedication. There had been political upheaval resulting in rebels burning and looting downtown Suva, occupying the Houses of Parliament and holding legislators hostage. The country was under martial law. The Fiji military gave the church limited permission to assemble people for the open house and a very small group for the dedication. The members as a whole were uninvited due to concerns for their safety. It was the only temple dedication since the original Nauvoo temple that was held under very difficult circumstances. One person, though, invited to the open house was a lovely Hindu woman of Indian descent, a member of parliament who was initially held hostage, but was released because she was female. In the celestial room, free from the turmoil of the world, she dissolved into tears as she expressed feelings of peace that overwhelmed her. She felt the Holy Ghost comforting and bearing witness of the sacred nature of the temple. Well, I am so grateful for Elder Cook's message here today, uh, his great talk, Personal Peace, a Reward for Righteousness. And I would invite all of you to take a look at this wonderful talk. The last message that I would share today from Elder Cook comes from his talk, Choose Wisely, that was given in the October of 2014 General Conference. In that message, he quoted Isaiah as saying that we are taught, in Isaiah he said we are taught to refuse the evil and to choose the good. And then Elder Cook said this, he said, I believe it is of particular importance in our day when Satan is raging in the hearts of men in so many new and subtle ways that our choices and decisions be made carefully, consistent with the goals and objectives by which we profess to live. We need unequivocal commitment to the commandments and strict adherence to sacred covenants. When we allow rationalizations to prevent us from temple endowments, worthy missions, and temple marriage, they are particularly harmful. It is heartbreaking when we profess belief in these goals, yet neglect the everyday conduct required to achieve them. Elder Cook then gave some examples. For instance, young people professing their goal to be married in the temple, but not dating temple-worthy individuals, or not dating at all. Others postpone marriage until education is complete or a job is obtained. Um, he said, I recently met a fine teenage young man. His goals were to go on a mission, obtain an education, marry in the temple, have a faithful, happy family. I was very pleased with his goals, but during further conversation, it became evident 
that his conduct and the choices he was making were not consistent with his goals. I felt he generally wanted to go on a mission but was avoiding serious transgressions. That would prohibit a mission, but his day-to-day conduct was not preparing him for the physical, emotional, and social, intellectual, and spiritual challenges that he would face. He had not learned how to work hard. He was not serious about his school or seminary. He attended church, but he had not read the Book of Mormon. He was spending a large amount of time on video games and social media. He seemed to think that showing up for his mission would be sufficient. Young men, please recommit to worthy conduct and serious preparation to be emissaries of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Anyway, I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful insight from Elder Cook on choosing wisely. Elder Cook continued in this talk by saying, My concern is not only about the big tipping point decisions, but also the middle ground, the workday world and seemingly ordinary decisions where we spend most of our time. In these areas, we need to emphasize moderation, balance, and especially wisdom. It's important to rise above rationalizations and make the best choices. A wonderful example of the need for moderation, balance, and wisdom is the use of the Internet. It can be used to do missionary outreach, to assist with priesthood responsibilities, and to find precious ancestors for sacred temple ordinances, and much more. The potential for good is enormous. But we also know that it can transmit much that is evil, including pornography, digital cruelty, and anonymous yakking. It can also perpetuate foolishness. As Brother Randall L. Ridd poignantly taught at the last General Conference of the Internet, you can get caught up in endless loops of triviality that waste your time and degrade your potential. And then Elder Cook said this. I think this is so quotable. He said that sometimes it feels like we are drowning in frivolous foolishness, nonsensical noise, and continuous contention. When we turn down the volume and examine the substance, there's very little that will assist us in our eternal quest towards righteous goals. One father wisely responds to his children with their numerous requests to participate in these distractions. He simply asks them, will this make you a better person? Now let me conclude with one last story from this talk that I think is good for all of us to remember. Elder Cook said, I believe Elder Dallin H. Oaks' inspired message distinguishing between good, better, and best provides an effective way to evaluate choices and priorities. Many choices are not inherently evil, he said, but if they absorb all of our time and keep us from the best choices, then they become insidious. And even worthwhile endeavors need evaluation in order to determine if they have become distractions from even the best goals. Elder Cook then said, I had a memorable discussion with my father When I was a teenager, he did not believe enough young people were focused on or preparing for long-term and important goals like employment or providing for families. Meaningful study and preparatory work experience were always at the top of my father's recommended priorities. He appreciated that extracurricular activities like debate and student government might have a direct connection with some of my important goals. He was less certain, though, about the extensive time I spent participating in football, basketball, baseball and track. He acknowledged that athletics could build strength, endurance, and teamwork, but asserted that perhaps concentrating on one sport for a shorter time would be better. In his view, sports were good, but not the best for me. He was concerned that some sports were about building local celebrity or fame at the expense of more important long-term goals. I had decided to follow my dad's advice 
and not play intercollegiate sports in college. But then our high school football coach informed me that the Stanford football coach wanted to have lunch with Merlin Olson and me. And those of you who are younger may not know Merlin. He was an incredible All-American tackle on the Logan High School football team where I played quarterback and safety and returned kickoffs and punts. In high school, Merlin was recruited by most football powers across the nation. In college, he actually won the Outland Trophy as the nation's best interior lineman. Merlin was ultimately the third overall pick in the National Football League draft and played an amazing 14 consecutive Pro Bowls. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1982. Many will also know, this is just me interjecting now, that Merlin Olsen became a great actor and starred on and shows and movies. And he really was, for those who don't know, maybe one of the greatest athletes who ever came out of, of, of Utah. Well, back to Elder Cook. He said, the lunch with the Stanford coach was at the Bluebird restaurant in Logan, Utah. And after we shook hands, he never once made eye contact with me. He talked directly to Merlin, but ignored me. At the end of the lunch, for, for the first time, he turned toward me, but he could not remember my name. He then informed Merlin, if you choose Stanford, I want to bring your friend with you. He has good enough grades that it could probably be arranged. This experience confirmed for me that I should follow my dad's wise counsel. Now, Elder Cook said, my intent is not to discourage participation in sports or the use of the internet or other worthwhile activities young people enjoy. They are the kind of activities that require moderation, balance, and wisdom. And when used wisely, they enrich our lives. However, I encourage everyone, young and old, to review goals and objectives and to strive to exercise greater discipline. Our daily conduct and choices should be consistent with our goals. And we need to rise above rationalizations and distractions. It's especially important to make choices consistent with our covenants to serve Jesus Christ in righteousness. We must not take our eyes off or drop that ball for any reason, because this life is the time to prepare to meet God, Elder Cook said, and we are to be a happy and joyous people. Well, everyone, I am so grateful for Elder Quentin L. Cook, one of the great apostles of our day. I feel like Ross, as Ross expressed the evolution of this apostle and how strong and powerful his messages are today and how they bless our lives and would encourage all of us to read some more of the talks of Elder Cook so that we can learn first, you know, more about him, but also they draw us closer to the Savior. I know that they do. And thank you so much for being with us today. Hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week, and we look forward to being with you next time. 